0: How we doing? It's goddamn ad week. All right. Uh, so we're going to do a live pod. We've never done a live pod before. We're very good at recorded pods, but we screw up a lot. So are you willing to let us go with that? Yeah, all right. Hi, buddy. Welcome to the Human Element, Kara's podcast on modern marketing. I am so excited to It's a to great have way
1: to start it. We screw up a lot. That's good. <laughs> And still confidence in See, the crowd. and here
0: we are again. I didn't mm. want to bring up the you sit out there. You don't come in through the thing. You walk up. I mean, Listen,
1: Whitney told me to sit there and wait. I did.
0: I sat and I waited. It's a goddamn disaster from the jump. Um, I'm so excited to have Michael Epstein, uh, who is yeah. the global CEO of Says that of now. <laughs> who is my boss and the global CEO of Cara. And Angela Steele, uh, who is our chief strategy officer, uh, we're super excited to be here. Thanks so much to Google for the partnership. Whitney, thank you so much for your help. And Chelsea, as always, I love you. So uh, let's jump into it. Uh, it's ad week, day 2 Woohoo! Actually, can I get a woohoo from the live audience? We can end it now, baby. Uh, has anything struck you as particularly interesting?
2: I will tell you one thing that has stood out to me. Patrick Coffey, who is a a reporter, was at a session that I spoke at this morning, and I cornered him and I said, so how are you deciding what you go and see at Adweek? And one thing he said to me that I think is really interesting is one of the things he went to yesterday was on ageism. And he said, people aren't really talking about that, but it is a force that is changing business. It is changing marketing. And I think the interesting thing about that is it's his job to choose the things that are most interesting to write about. And he's choosing it based on what's having the most cultural shifts and business shifts.
1: I feel like I care more about
0: that than 10 years ago.
1: Yeah. yeah. I think the real question is whether AdWeek is still relevant. I got asked this question last night at a client dinner, uh, and I'm not sure it's as relevant as it was 10 years ago. So how would you fix it? I think there's too many panels and I'll be sitting on one at the moment, but... <laughs> no, this um, is a podcast. It's, it's, not, a it's not a panel. It's not I think we need to get more clients and people from platforms like Tara and, and Alan and the like giving presentations about points of view about their business, as well as people from agencies. It's easy on panels to hide behind things.
0: Yeah, I do think there's a... a a need to push the discussion a little bit, so I think that's a great point. All right, the three of us sat down in December. It's the last time we did a pod together where we talked about Pringles. That was a big hit. Um, We talked about three kind of big things. One is transformation in the industry. How is that going? Do you you each have kind of a quick assessment on where we are in that path?
1: Sure. Uh, I think um, we are moving more to be more of a platform business, which I'm sure is news to the people at Google. Uh, But it's true if you look at NBCU, you look at Disney, you look at Google, you look at Facebook, it's a bit more of a platform business. And I think hopefully that will have some positive impact in some key areas. On the flip side of that, I would say from a measurement perspective, most of our clients really struggle with unifying our data and not to insult our hosts. The walled gardens are part of that problem. So in that area, I'm not sure we're as transformational as we need to be. As we talk about personalization and, and the like.
2: Yeah. I, I would add to that there's so much great intent on behalf of us and clients and our partners. However, it's we're taking one step forward and then we're taking two steps back every time there's a mistrust of data. I mean, it was just announced last week, a partner that I will not name that is not Google pulled tens of thousands of apps from their platform because they were those app providers were using data that they shouldn't even have access to. So we, we have such great intent and then things like that set us back. So as an industry, we need to clean up our act and take some ownership of what we're doing. And
1: what it does is it creates, the, I've been spending a lot of time in London, and it creates things like GDPR where the truth is, I have to click and say, do you, you accept cookies? I'm like, yeah, I accept cookies. And by the way, now to swipe the cookies and all you're doing is pissing me off. So every time a platform like that has something like this happen, the, opposite, you know, the equal and opposite reaction is painful.
0: There's a lot to kind of look at on that. But I think you know, from, from my perspective, um, GDPR, as frustrating as it is, I mean, it's been kind of a non-event, right? We kind of relearned what Unless we learned. Unless you violate it. Well, agreed. But we relearned what we, what we learned with Can't Spam, which is nobody opts out of Can't Spam and everybody says, oh, yeah, no, this particular brand I want to hear from. Um, diversity and inclusion a big issue in the in the industry, we a year later. Where are we?
2: This morning we held a town hall, and we had, what, 200 people there? Um, and looking out at that audience, I was pretty proud of how, what we've done as Cara. We had a really diverse team of people sitting out in that audience. However, Outside of our bubble, I think there's still so much work that needs to be done as an industry. And when you look at the top of organizations, and today in the room we had our teams, but when you look at the very tops of organizations, there's a lot of work to be done still. There's a lot of talk, but there's not enough action.
0: I want to talk, Angela, you were involved in a thought piece we did around this thing called the attention economy. Talk to me a little bit about what that is. Okay, so it's research
2: that's been done, basically starting with the premise that you need to see an ad for it to work. Right? Crazy concepts. Um, and that wait, actually. Wait, wait. I is. think I can buy into that.
0: I think I can buy into <laughs> But it into actually
2: it. is. It's funny because I was, as we were developing this, it, it made me laugh because that's kind of obvious. But what we learned was really interesting. And it's that you don't really have to fully see an ad for it to work. So part of what we looked at was do you need to be in full view for a certain amount of time versus can you be on the periphery? And what we found is that yes, being in full view will provide better attention, but not to the extent that it's that it necessarily warrants the cost, but then more importantly, the role of creative and the role of content in earning attention. And we intentionally use the word earn attention because you need to offer something that people want to see. Uh, and part of what the other thing that we learned through that is that a brand's presence is really important in garnering attention. And it wasn't something we expected to learn. But in cases where the brand was prominent, that wasn't a bad thing. That wasn't viewed as detrimental or, or hindering the attention. It gained attention. And the thing about that work, there's a long ways to go with it because we did it first just to learn what does it take to get attention. But the next phase of that is how do we really take that into something more meaningful in the marketplace?
0: So we we talk a lot about content in this business. In fact of my 58 buzzwords that make me want to like kill myself. Content's at the top of the list. Bespoke uh, is at the top bespoke, of the Bespoke? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interlocking. I got a couple. Michael, from your perspective, and I, I want to get both of you on this, we have a content offering. We, you know, obviously there's a lot being said about you know, the reunification or the reintegration of media and creative. What, from your perspective, what role, how do we define content, and, and how does that
1: play a role in, in what we do? First of all, it's messaging strategy. We spend more time talking to clients about messaging strategy than we do advertising, right? And then if you're gonna fill that messaging strategy, you have to have the right assets to do it. So brands matter, right? We all love brands. I mean, I'm wearing a Ted Baker jacket because it's a cool brand. Hopefully, it makes me look good. If only I were wearing a Ted Baker jacket. Yeah. To me, it is filling a need state to engage a consumer with the appropriate messaging as we move them through a consumer journey. I think the also important question is, how do we evolve the consumer journeys? We did, she's been leading some really great work with the strategy insight teams to reimagine the way we do consumer journeys and fulfill those needs.
0: And how are we thinking about making that more approachable for brands, for our clients?
2: I mean, there are a couple of things in terms of getting involved with content. I mean, one thing, as Michael said, is it's rooted in the strategy. So it's very clearly set up. What is the objective? What are the motivations me, of individuals? I'm pretty sure
0: they're not coming for any of us. I just want to rule that out. <laughs> yeah, uh, to those you of you know, listening to this. I have a
1: very sacred past.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you do, but we're not getting into that yeah. today.
1: <laughs>
2: um, sorry, what was the question?
0: <laughs> <laughs> you think I, she'd I, be used to it by now. I, I know, know, right? Like I self-sabotage constantly. Uh, the question is about how are we kind of helping brands and clients with this Content yes,
2: right. Um, <laughs> so a big part of it is there are there are needs that we need to be able to deliver on. So we know what it, what message that people want to see, but then there's a gap in the assets and the creative that we have yeah. to deliver, and that's where we have an advantage and we can help because we um, have access to ways of developing creative assets and helping brands do that on their own Um, and working with the creative agencies. It's not to say that we are replacing the creative agencies in any way, but it's in giving them the architecture that they need to go and deliver on that.
0: Yeah. And with creators too, right? Like, I mean, it's, you know, one of the things that's dimensionalized about this world is that it's not simply the agencies, it's those that make stuff on their own.
2: Yeah, and that's a great point point. An initiative that we have going with many of our clients, um, Project Green Screen, uh, where we are working with YouTube to bring in those creators and create a consultation for clients as they're trying to figure out this space and how they can develop content, how they can use creators. There are teams of experts in place to help guide us and our clients through that.
0: So the great OTT armies are massing on the hill it's like game of thrones it's pretty awesome right what on earth is going to happen it's going to be an amazing 2020 as this rolls out yes yeah i don't i don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't there's enthusiasm
1: folks I no no I, I don't i wish i had a better answer than yeah. I, what i do think advertising is coming to netflix because they'll they will get to a point where they can't just continue to increase the cost of that subscription service it will be driven by the competition well there's that. I'll come on to that in a second. But, you, you know, when you sign Shonda, or, like I say that like I know her, by the way, <laughs> um, or Ryan you Murphy... So yeah, yeah, so $100 million production contracts. You, somehow you're going to have to monetize that. So uh, that's one. Two, if you talk to certain people, the, the Disney platform is going to be a Netflix buster. Like, Bob Iger has bet his future, yep. I and mean, his future's pretty bright, has yep. bet it, and he, he will tell you that it's a Netflix buster. And if you ask analysts in that sector they will say they think he's right because of the library that they just that they have and that they bought. So the thing becomes how many of these do you need where you're like well screw it why don't i just keep cable television, right? Plus by the way the rights keep showing. i just saw that Seinfeld has now shifted at some point. Yes, i believe from Hulu to Netflix. To Netflix. Netflix. So i don't know like i think it's going to be a really interesting i don't know if 2020 is the year of it, but at some point like how many different apps in essence, do you need to get the content that you want? And by the way, pay for internet. Right. You would think nobody could make cable TV the heroes. What I hope is, at least in the ad-supported ones, we can can get some clients to shift money to those platforms, because it will be good for the marketplace.
0: Um, Anything on the OTT thing? The only thing I would
2: add as a compliment to what Michael has said is Haley led some research recently on how people feel about this space. And we found there is a tremendous amount of anger. People are pissed off because prices are rising. The content that was on one one service is being moved to another service. They, and we need more and more and more services. And People are frustrated and pissed yeah. off and we, we actually need consolidation, not more services.
0: We talked a little bit about this. You, you tipped your cap to this a second ago. Uh, every year we talk about you know migration of dollars into digital and we talk about you know declining viewership in prime time. We have these conversations and then every year we show up at the table and look, there's clearly a role for all of that, but I, at some point in time, is there a tipping point? Does
1: OTT influence the tipping point? Hopefully, audience influences the tipping point. Those are the conversations we've been having with clients, our clients and and others. I'd like to think that's what drives the tipping point. The the macroeconomics behind the upfront are getting to a point where it's almost, it's almost, how could it be sustained? I mean, seriously, how could it be sustained? And I have nothing against television. The flip side of that, it works, right? We've done studies, you pull television off, volume goes down. So you have to put a plan together that has multiple touch points to increase your reach, earned reach, attentive reach, as we might call it now. The other thing is you have to get measurement sorted out. I think that's one of the things that gets our teams and our clients sometimes a little bit afraid of, of what's around the corner. How are you going to manage frequency? How are you going to know if it works? That kind of stuff.
0: Michael, we've had a couple kind of key initiatives going on in the company here for a little bit of time. Uh, One of them is around how we get much more agile in sort of the combination of multidisciplinary teams to accomplish outcomes. Can you share a little bit about what the thinking behind that is and why it's so important?
1: I think the most important thing is, I I have a firm believer in this, that our clients generally want their business anchored into Kara, right? It's not, not every single one of them, but most of them. And then it's powered by the network. That is a really seamless process where our analytics team, as an example, are part of the planning decisions up front so that they understand what they're optimizing on the back end of it. Um, and it seems to be working. And, and look, all of, every conversation I have with clients, and I have a lot of client conversations, is they want us to take friction, right? Mark Pritchard, two or three years ago, was maybe it was a bit longer than that, said, your complexity is not my problem, and he was right. And so we've worked pretty hard to take that out. Yeah,
2: the, the other thing to add to that is also, the way the way that we work on the focus on audiences starts to remove some of those silos. Also, the biggest silo in our in the history of advertising has always existed between planning and buying. And if we are using the same audience to, that we build that delivers plans, and then we activate based on that same audience and can pull that audience through, that naturally starts to shift us into getting away from some of those silos because we're going audience first versus channel first.
0: And We've talked a lot about something that, wouldn't, that has been associated largely with the consultancies in that process. And that is this idea of what role does design thinking play in a solution? Can you guys quickly comment on that?
2: Design thinking is really critical because if we are following an audience, audiences are reacting every single second. So we need the ability to evolve our, our plans every single second. Um, and even when they're in development, we need the ability to, to prototype and learn and re-prototype. And those are some principles that exist in design thinking that we are looking at how we can bring them to media planning about Yeah,
1: I, I think, so when we were going through business planning last year, the leadership team landed on experience design because in the world in which we're living, that matters, right? The experience you have out in the world, but with brands really matters. Tara talked about it. Kathleen talked about it today. And so we're focused on experience design, which which is what was talking about, and will be something we continue to push, I would say over the next 12 to 18 months.
0: A second big work stream has been around our belief system and our brand. Without revealing anything, because I will fall over, uh, why is that so important? Why is that work so important?
1: Uh, I think the brand needs to evolve, and I, what I think, I, I, you know, whenever I do town halls or have meetings with teams, I remind them that they're all consumers, and they need to remember that, right? They might be a media planner, they could be an activation, they could be doing analytics, but first and foremost, they're a person, and they experience brands, and so a lot of what we're what we're pushing, what we're what we're going to evolve to, is. It is this notion of experience design because that is actually how you interact with brands, right? Redefining media worked for us for a long period of time, but there needs to be a, an evolution. And
2: most importantly, one of the things we focused on is we need a brand values and purpose that means something to consumers, to our clients, and to our people. And we've really focused on that, making sure that it's people-centric, but in all definitions of people, not just in terms of the work product that we put out, but to ensure that it's delivering on aspirations of our workforce, who are also people.
0: Such a delightful way of answering the question without giving anything away and making me happy. It's like we could go now, Uh, but we're not. So uh, if there's one thing that people in the industry should be talking about right now, but they aren't, what, what, what is that, Angela?
2: Creativity. We used to talk about it all the time, and we have not talked about it for a while. Um, and being at Adweek this week, there are so many topics around data and technology and audiences, but at the end of the day, we need to shift our focus, not shift our focus, but add balance to the focus so that creative creativity and innovation is part of
0: what we do first.
1: Bad advertising, Creates a bad experience, good advertising creates a good experience.
0: All right, so are you excited because we've reached the point in time where you can ask a question live on The Human Element and be famous to hundreds of people around the world? (laughs) Right? Do I know how to sell this? Uh, One or two questions from the audience. Anybody, here we go. Do we have a mic somewhere in this? Look at everybody's like, we don't have a mic. Uh, Yeah, right over here.
1: Uh, going back to consumer receptivity to advertising, Michael, you talked a lot about GDPR and just the frustration that that creates. Um, do you think there's ever going to be a point where the pendulum swings the other way and consumers start becoming receptive to advertising again? And what would be the driver of that? Well, I, I don't think that they're not, right? Like, I mean, again, so I was just we were having this conversation earlier and we were talking about platforms earlier today. We were talking about Instagram. Insta, as the cool kids call it. Anyway, um, and if you think about your experience on Instagram, hopefully you use it, the, the advertising is good and it's pretty damn relevant and it really doesn't bother you the way it does on some other platforms. Not to pick on them, take Facebook's platform, like the bombardment of crap that comes into your newsfeed, right? Like, of course it's gonna, your receptivity is gonna be worse because it's a bad experience. So again, we're, we're trying to work hard. We're gonna ask you guys to work hard to do that. And I think if that's the case, Right, the attention economy stuff, it, it, then some of that will go away. But there are some people, by the way, you, you just never, it's always been the case. Erwin Gottlieb taught me a long time ago you can't reach everyone. So, by the way, any of you put a plan in front of me that is 100% reach, you're going to get addressing dressing <laughs> Don't
2: down. do it. Don't do it. Trust me. I've seen it. Hi there. So, what, in your opinion, is the future model of the media agency? and what's the one thing you can do right now to
1: change to get there i think we're going to shift more towards experience right i think we're going to move away from some of, there's a lot of legacy that sits in the business whether that is legacy titles whether that is legacy processes whether that is legacy engagement with our partners so we have to change that i think some of the skill sets are going to change so you know, where we are, uh, I think, on the front foot because of the acquisition of Merkle moving into audience science, which is a significant change from uh, the way insights used to be done. So we're getting much more behavioral inputs than we used to, and we're leveraging data in a much more impactful way. So I think you'll see, you'll start to see those types of shifts over the next, I would say, 12 to 18 months. I also think uh, you will, will see us start to break down some of the barriers that have existed Media agencies, in my opinion, certainly at CARA, are being relied more for their creativity and content strategy than they have ever been before because most clients are recognizing they have gaps in that space. Big organized ideas are great. They're not always the most nimble, and we're living in a world that's very agile and nimble. So um, I think that you'll start to see some changes in that space as well. Do you have anything to add?
2: Yeah, I I, I agree. He's still on my points.
0: Hi, I have something for either of you. All right. Um, Understanding we're a people-first business. Yes. If we park that for a moment, allow me to come at it from a different angle. Um, If you had to choose one technology that you think is really interesting over the next 18 months that you don't think the industry is focused enough on, what would it be?
2: One technology? Just one
0: technology, yeah. It could be a platform, it could be a technology, but something that we don't normally obviously ideate around a technology. It'd be a behavior, but if there was a technology,
1: what would it be for you?
2: Yeah, I would say voice. It came up in a meeting that we were in today. It's. I think that's where there's so much opportunity. It's a natural thing for us to be doing. We just really haven't put um, a lot of time and attention to making that central to the strategies and ideation that we're doing.
1: Not sure it's a technology, but and we're close to it because of some of our clients, I think that AI is on the cusp of some pretty interesting technological breakthroughs that we can apply to the business, I think.
0: All right, real quick, two lightning round questions because it wouldn't be the human element without them. Uh, First thing is, one word answer, um, favorite new show or series? It has to be new. Okay, favorite show of any time. That Little House on the Prairie. No. Squawk Box. Right. Squawk Box? I love
2: Andrew Ross Sorkin.
0: Really? Yes. So he's like your celebrity crush. All right, fair enough.
1: Midsummer Murders, I, I ask you all to I go look crack- it up. It's unreal that I, I'm so sucked into it. Yeah, anyway. I love that.
0: Yeah, I, I, uh, my, my kids think I have the uh, content-watching, targeting profile of a 78-year-old British woman. Um, You're combating ageism. Yeah, exactly. That's right, Miss Marple for life. So, um, strangest, you guys travel all the time. Real quick, strangest travel moment.
2: Breaking into Louisa's hotel room.
1: <laughs> <laughs> this is a true story, by the way, this is a true story. There's so many. A guy dropped a bag on me last week. He was completely disheveled. Put his bed down before we even left the gate and went to sleep. Like People take their shoes off. Don't get me started. (laughs) I can't.
0: Um, Thank you both so much. We were, as always, fantastic. Thanks so much, everybody, and to Google. That's so sweet. Um, That's a wrap for our first ever live episode of The Human Element. Uh, Please remember that you can find The Human Element everywhere that you find your pods. And remember, subscribe or give us a like. Thanks so much.